0: Is a holy God, a gracious God, and merciful God. This morning, we have a guest with us, and I give you a little bit of history. You guys know that for those of you that have been at Core Faith for a while, and there's very few preachers that I let get up here because I consider this to be a holy, holy call. And I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm close friends with Jeff and Karen Nelson, and whenever we've gotten together, this man's name comes up almost all the time in our conversations. And every time that his name comes up, it's always good. And even though I hadn't met him, I don't—I I didn't know him. I, I always felt the witness of the Spirit, and I know that God uh, is is with him in a mighty, mighty way. He is a church planner in Canada, and he's part of Heart Cry Ministries, correct? And um, just. As a heart for the Lord, he's planted like four churches. I was reading on his, on his page where he gives updates to the mission work that he's doing and how God is using him to witness and minister. And he, was, he came down to Florida, and I felt bad because I know what it's like to go on vacation, right? It's like you're on vacation, you want to relax, and then someone's going to call on you and be like, hey, you want to come preach? But, you know, there's something about preachers. We love to preach, and it's never a burden for us when we hear that. I, and so for the preacher, I didn't feel so bad. I've always felt bad for the family. But I thank God for his wife and family that were gracious and they all felt yes. And so I want to ask you to put your hands together for Pastor David Story as he comes up to share God's word with us this morning. And
1: uh, is it all right if I just move these pages down here, brother? Uh just got together with Jeff and Karen after we were here for a day or so, and then he mentioned about that, and so he spoke to Jason, and uh, it's just a real pleasure for us to be here with you today, and definitely always unworthy recipients, and God is good, and if it wasn't for that, none of us would be standing here today, <laughs> or sitting, <laughs> and just, just glad to, to, to share a bit this morning, and I was thinking about, you know, the greatest need today in the church is for serious evangelism and prayer. And it was a lot of sometimes where we're at, there seems to be a lot of inward focus. And uh, Jesus called us to go, and that's what I want to talk about today. And we don't have to be fancy about it. You don't have to be a theologian. And I was thinking about that demoniac after he was healed that time. Uh, Jesus had just go and tell what the Lord has done. It said he went all over the Decapolis, those ten cities, and told what the Lord had done for him. He didn't take a ten-week course on how to share the gospel the Lord was with them. And if the Lord's with you, you can just go. Amen. Amen. So I want to pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, today that you are gracious and merciful. And I thank you for Jesus, for his righteousness. Lord, impute it to us by faith alone. We thank you, Lord God, for the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you've given us a new heart. Lord, you've taken out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, and you've given us your spirit, Lord. And so, Lord, today I, I pray that you'll bless these people. We pray, Father, that you'll be glorified. Lord, we pray that you'll be glorified even now in our thinking, Lord, and everything that you'll keep us from being distracted, Lord, from our from our thoughts and what we're going to do after. Lord, I pray that your kingdom would be advanced right here today, Lord. I pray, God, that you would encourage your people. Lord, I pray those that may be here today that may be lamps without oil, that you would fill up those lamps. Uh, Lord, I pray, God, that those who completely... Don't know you here and they know they're lost. I pray today would be a day of salvation, that now would be the accepted time. And we pray, Lord, that your will will be done here, Lord, that you'll give us your daily bread, send the manifest presence of God, Lord, and speak to your people, Lord, and change us today. Don't let us walk out of here the same, Lord. I pray that you would start another great awakening. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So I'm going to share the text I'm going to be preaching from, and I'll share a little bit about my testimony as well, but I want to just read from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful. And that's one thing right there we got to remember. Those are the words of Christ. He didn't say it's plentiful now and it's not going to be 2,000 years later. The harvest is plentiful until he returns. But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And here's the word today go. That's the word for us today. Just one word go. And it it's one point today on this message. Just one point go. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. And I want to just. Preach of this passage, but I will share a little bit about where I'm from, and we do missionary work uh, with Heart Cry, as Brother Jason said. And uh, some of you might be aware of Paul Washer here. Paul's very good friend of mine, and uh, you know we hooked up quite a few years ago, actually at a conference here in Florida. And just you know we stayed up quite late talking, and all the next day talking, and then he come up home a few years later and spent time with us up there at our house, and uh, he just. You know, to me, it's uh, the Lord's really with him in a powerful way, and I know that there's been then tens of thousands of conversions under his ministry from around the globe, even from people who were false converts who thought they were saved, and after hearing messages, they sent emails in saying that they were definitely not converted and uh, that they now are soundly converted in Christ. So, thank the Lord for me. He's a very, very humble brother, and. uh, uh, and, a, and a close friend of mine, and I definitely am very thankful to him. If you ever get a chance to listen to any of his messages online, they're good, and they're they're fasten your seatbelt messages. I'll tell you that right now. Like it's not, is not. You're not going to be sleepy listening to them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thankful for that, and thankful for that. My grandfather was a very godly man. I grew up in an unconverted family, and both my mom and dad and. Uh, the minister where we went to was a very godly man, a man of prayer, and he's always spent a couple, three hours a day in prayer. And every time I was around him when I was a kid, I just almost felt like the Lord was coming around. And I, would, even as a child, when he would start praying, I'd start weeping when I got around him, and I didn't know what it was, but it was the presence of the Lord. And uh, years later down the road, you know, I was, I was uh, we were already married, Lisa and I, for a year, and I was converted the next year, and. That kind of threw a road bump into our marriage because she wasn't there, and so two years later she was converted, and uh, and since that time the Lord's brought us right together, and uh, it's been great. We've been able to plant churches. We've had four children; they're all saved and serving the Lord. S- six grandchildren, and uh, that we know of so far, anyways. And we're we're very thankful for that. Some of them are here with us, to, uh, but they didn't come up here with us today. We, we they were at another church up in. Uh, send me where we're at and uh, they they get hear me preach all the time so <laughs> but they're they're there so yeah so we're really thankful for that and where we live it's a very small area it's a loggers community and it's uh, basically almost like a Scottish settlement like my family get off the boats in 1804 and just mowed up the river there a, a, an hour from that and so that's where we live my wife's family her uh, background they're all, uh, her parents grandparents are from Lebanon so there's no no closeness in our relation there unless we get back to Adam. And so, but God's good and and I want to just say that the Lord's given me a wonderful wife and a great helpmate and I uh, you know I I often say that if something ever happened to her I think I'd probably have to quit you know. She's she's a great blessing to me and uh, but we there was in, in the little town where we're at there's kind of a history of revivals like in the 1950s my grandfather they were having these tent meetings. Uh, these old Methodist ministers were coming up and they were revival. And the spirit of God was really moving at that time. And like, I think when my granddad got saved, there was 50 people saved in a few nights there. And that's, you know, in a town of like 900 people, that's definitely has an impact on a place. And they were lasting conversions, lasting fruit until, until they went home to be with Christ. And at and just down the road from that, about another hour below us, uh, there was a man, his name was Joe Strachan. He wasn't... Uh, very academic. He didn't have any theological training, and the Lord was using him. He was preaching in all these. That's where, where we're at. It's all, it's all logging. My, my father was a logger, my grandfather, and all the way back, they were loggers, and that's what you do. You either work in the woods, cutting lumber, or you're, you're at the mill. And so so he, he did This town down below, this guy would go preach in these little log cabins in the woods where the men would work all winter, and people were getting converted, and some of the other ministers, the Baptist ministers, didn't want him coming up because he didn't have a PhD and things like this here, but no one was being converted at their churches, and they were all dying. And so some of the the deacons protested and said, no, we want this man to come and preach in our church. And so they prayed, and uh, in two nights, there were 110 people soundly converted and uh, that, that, that's what you call revival. And nine people out of that revival went into full-time ministry and missions over to India and Africa and different places all over the world. And so I, I actually know one of the men that was converted. His name is Wilbur Matthews. He's a really good friend of Lisa and mine. And he actually worked with us. He was printer 90 years old, and he, he just gets around like a young guy. He only weighs about 120. He's about probably 5'4", about the size of John Wesley. And But, you know, the Lord... But he shared these revival times with me. It's quite amazing, you know, to see how the Lord has worked in that. And, I've, and I know other people that were converted during these times. And, I, and I've seen something that the Lord usually has to break at people before there's going to be a whole lot happening. And we've got to be humbled. And as long as we can get up in the morning and not spend time in our Bibles and pray, we're not going to get too much from the Lord. And it's just as simple as that. It's just not going to happen. Like, you know, it, it, to be in a relationship with God and not to hear from him and not to speak to him is really not much of a relationship. And that's why, the, I, that's why I feel there's not a lot of revival. And we are just sharing a little bit with Jason. Like, people get on their phones and read their Bibles. And I, I'm not totally against it, but I, I'm just sticking to this right here in commentaries because I, I see people doing it, and they get these messages popping up all the time. I don't even have all the things. There's, like, Twitter and all these other things. I just have a text, and I can call people. But they get on that, and then they get distracted from their Bible readings and praying. Like, I know for me, if I just get distracted a bit, it can throw off my attention. I'm really in the Bible to seek the Lord. And so I get up, you know, early every morning, and uh, I like to spend the first few hours of my day in this year and praying. And I like to seek the Lord until I've actually sensed his presence with me. And I feel strengthened up. And I find when you go out the door to go start witnessing at that point, there's, there's a power that's on you that's not your own. And that has to be sought every single day. We need to seek the face of God every single day. We need his power. And then when we go out, and I think another reason why there's a lack of real fruit in evangelism a lot of the time is because people are hearing a half gospel. And uh, it's not so much that just God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our lives, but the problem is is that the gospel is is good news because there's really bad news. and, And by nature, we are wicked. And our hearts are depraved and we're completely lost and we're God-haters by nature. And it's, it's more than just ascending to a few facts and would I like to go to heaven and have all the nice things I want here now. No, is, is it, will I lose my life? You know, and do I have an undivided heart? You know, are my affections devoted towards Christ and his kingdom? And so we need to lose our lives. That's the first thing that's got to happen. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every single day. We need God's presence, and we're no good without it. And that's, this man, Joe Strachan, when he came to that place, I he was a man of prayer. And so God always used them. In the, in the book of Acts, you read ordinary unschooled men, and they turn the world upside down. And I'm, I'm not against you know studying theology. I love to study theology myself, but I'm against it when it's that pitted against the absence of the Holy Spirit's presence. There's just no power on it. And it's, just, it's like the letter without the Spirit. So we need God's power, and I just want to encourage Encourage you to spend time in your Bible and pray every morning. Put away phones and get into an old-fashioned paper Bible and read it and get on your hands and knees and seek the face of God. And that's real then at that point because what we got today is so lukewarm in Canada where we live, and I can't say for here because I'm not living here, but it's just so much lukewarmness and apathy and deadness and carnality, and people loving the world and wanting to worship God. But those two two things aren't going to happen at the same time. There's going to be a complete separation of the world. And as the brothers said, without holiness, no one sees the Lord. So that's really true. The Bible says it, and that's all that matters. And another thing is, if we're filled with the Spirit, when we go out, this is what it says in Acts, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Not you might be my witnesses. And if we're filled with the Spirit, it's just going to be unstoppable. We're not going to be able to stop talking about the Lord. It's just going to spill over. Like if we're going to a store, if we're going to a Walmart or wherever, usually by the time we get to the checkout, they've heard the gospel. You know, if we're going to Tim Hortons, that's what we coffee places up home like your Dunkin' Donuts down here. By the time we're through or wherever it's at, you know, or if I go into a store to buy a pair of pants or something like that, or by the time we're done, they've heard the gospel. I don't have to get to know them for 10 years and then try to see if they'll accept it. I just start talking to them. I'll take a track, and within a minute, I'll just be going through it and reading it with them, and the pers- they don't know what to do because it throws them off. And before you know it, they're reading the gospel themselves. And i says, I just want to leave that with you, and I'll put them on a prayer list. And we'll, what we'll do is we'll write them down. And right now, like I have about 126 names on a prayer list of people who I'm actively witnessing to. And so I might see them a couple times a month, and I just keep going back and praying for them every morning. And I keep systematically going back with the gospel until they either get saved or tell us not to come back. One of those two things are going to happen. And so it's going to be one or the other. There's, there's no neutrality when you're going back. When you're confronting someone about righteousness and their sin, they're either going to be converted or they're going to say don't come back. And so then what I'll do is I'll not completely check them off of not praying for them, but I, I'll spend more time going out finding new ones because God, God has a people everywhere. So we just need to systematically go with the gospel, and that's the word is go. And it's not like tomorrow, okay, today was a pretty good day, so I'll wait till next week. Now, tomorrow, like I'm already writing down when I'm doing my devotions, the Spirit of God will be putting people in my mind, so I'm praying for I'm going to go see this person today, this one, this one. So we try to hit 15 or 20 people a week with intentional evangelism visits, and then several other, you know, just if there's any other conversation comes up, it's basically going to be the gospel, because I really don't have anything else to talk about, so... That's, that's it. Time's running out, and people are perishing. And just also, too, like obviously we're in the same situation with COVID. Canada's been, in my uh, mind, way too strict and way overboard with it. But it's affected a lot of people negatively. And I was thinking in history, you know, how it was when there were plagues that were way more severe. And I was just want to share with you a couple of these before I hit the word here. During the cholera outbreak in 1854, Charles Spurgeon was present with his people, and he was leading the gatherings of the church. He was caring for those who were suffering, and he was faithful in evangelism. And at this time, when this plague was on, Spurgeon was visiting up to 75 houses a week. Can you imagine? Writing 175 letters a month, just pure gospel, and sending them to people. And you know, the, there's not many men in history that I have that much uh, love to read about Aspurgeon Spurgeon because he was just constantly the gospel, the presence of the Lord, just leaning on that. And he was faithful in evangelism, and he trusted in God, and he never wavered in his faithfulness during a real, real massive plague. And also that God made him fruitful during that time. And as a matter of fact, it's just just a couple of years later, there were 1,500 people saved in one year in his church in 1959. It's called that Great Awakening in 1859, 1,500 people converted. And just people were right on the floor. They said on the front rows of those churches where the old hardwood floors were, they were stained with tears of brokenness and repentance. And see, this is what we need back. We need, to, and we need And if we need this back, we've got to go back to the old ways. The new ways aren't working. God's got it right here. Like, we don't have to go any further than here. And there was a heightened reality at that time of suffering and death. Like, people were just dying all over the place. And it became intensely urgent to him and the people in his church for the gospel to multiply and to not diminish like many churches, like even where we're at in Canada, some churches haven't even opened back up again. And COVID would be so small on a scale of the damage to this to this plague here. And people just set back, you know. And, and But see, I think we think too much about our lives sometimes when the Bible says to die is gain for the Christian. We... we, we, we 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 say we want to be sold out, but how sold out are we? That's the question. And so we need to ask ourselves, how about how about me this morning? You know, how about you, right? And so not only was he was faithful, but his church was faithful. And I want to share one more too. two. This is on the bubonic plague in 1665 through 1666, and there was a hundred thousand people died in London, and there were just people just dead all over the place and dying nonstop. And see, the Anglican clergy, which were dead at the time, they were actually, they had already put the Puritans out that were preaching the gospel. They shut them out, and they had this thing called the Five Mile Act where they could only preach five miles from where they lived. They were trying to discourage preaching. And at this time, in this bubonic plague, uh, here in 1665, all the Anglican clergy, unconverted most of them, fled the city when they found about the plague. And after that happened, all the Puritans came back in and shared the gospel with all the dying people, and some of them died with them because they didn't count their lives as too much. And see, we need to get to the point where we're not too hanging on to ourselves, where this this world is very temporary. Your life is like a vapor. And we're not intended to live forever, so we're intended to live for the glory of God every single day. That's our purpose, is to live for his glory. And then these people fled. And so, you know, during the the COVID-19, like down here, I just want to ask you guys, How has it been? You know, can we say this about ourselves? Would we say what these Puritans actually said? This is what they were saying, to die is gain. And we don't care if we lose our lives. There's people in here that are lost, and we're going in with the gospel. And so you can see the mentality of the thinking was quite a bit different. I don't know about here, but in Canada, massively different from what was going on in the UK here in the 1600s. And so this is what, what we need to dig back to. But those... Blessed are those the Bible says whose strength is in you, and have their heart set on pilgrimage. Psalm eighty four five. So, in this world, is your heart right now? Is your heart set on pilgrimage? Are you just a stranger here? Or has this world become too too much home to us? What we have, possessions. You know, sometimes I think the best thing that could happen is if God took everything away from us to make us see our need. You know, like no, no one wants that to happen. But the thing is, we, we, we got so much now compared to our forefathers that we don't, like, I remember growing up, I mean, we didn't even have an outhouse in my house until 1972, two went indoor plumbing. So, you know, my mother carried water, and they used to bat, carry the bath water, and they would heat it on a wood stove we had in the winter times, and they would, that's, that's how it was. And I mean, when we got the flush and sink in the bathroom, we thought we were millionaires in 1972. In 75, we got a shower, and then we went all the way. But that's, that's, and like, you know, you'd have these little houses, one-and-a-half-story houses and winters and stuff, and there'd be like eight kids in the bedroom, you know, upstairs, like just, people live so differently, we have so much, like no one had cars, now everyone's got two or three, and four-wheelers, and up-home snowmobiles, and all these things, and there's lots of time for stuff, but no time for God, and we say we want God. You know, how much do we really want the Lord? You know, I'll tell you what, you show me who's out witnessing and sharing the gospel, and I'll show you who's filled with the Spirit. Is your heart set on pilgrimage here? Can you say to die is gain? Or has mandates and safety precautions become more important to us? I'm just thinking about what happened in the 1600s and the 1800s. Like in Canada, we're a long, long ways from where these men were. And we need to, I think we need to lose our lives. That's what I really believe. But in Luke chapter 10, 1 through 3, I just want to read through this. After this, the Lord had appointed 72 others and sent them. He sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So the Lord sent people to every town and place, every person, Mark 16, 15. See, this is a model for what the church is supposed to be doing. Anytime when the Holy Spirit's moving and there's revival, I was reading this book and I was couldn't recommend it to you enough. It's called "The Invasion of Wheels" by the Spirit through Evan Roberts. There was a hundred thousand people saved in six months in this revival, and even the main talk on the street by the childrens was conversion and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And even in school, there was a reported a little girl in grade two. And she's her mother. The teacher was already under conviction, but she wasn't converted. And she said, "Don't you want to be saved too?" And the teacher fell under under conviction, and she was converted right there by two year old grade two. You know, like that's what happens. And and in Hebrides, that's uh, basically where a lot of my family would have came from, off the side of Scotland. There, uh, there was a revival in 1949 with Duncan Campbell. The Spirit came again. The same thing happened. Twenty thousand people were saved in five weeks. And it wasn't like big cities like Oviedo and stuff like that. These are little small towns along these aisles and stuff. There's like sometimes 80 people in this town, 150 here. But you imagine 20,000, almost the whole side of Scotland was converted. And I'll tell you what, people gave up their liquor. They gave up, you know, today everyone everyone wants their liberty. Our liberty shouldn't be seeing how much sin we can have, how close to God should we be. That should be a liberty. That's the reason why we don't have a lot of revival. And that's the reason why God's... Not going to bother with us unless we truly humble ourselves and seek him first. And so these, yeah, that, that, their revival was amazing and uh, all of them, actually. In verse 2, it says, he told them the harvest is plentiful. And if you look at that, Jesus is talking here. So in Oviedo, you, you guys got about 100,000 people around here? More? I don't even know what's here. But if you think about it, the harvest is plentiful. So when he said the harvest is plentiful, did he mean the harvest was plentiful just at that time, 2,000 years ago? Or does he mean it right up until he returns? The harvest is plentiful. That means lots of people out there that are lost who need to be saved. That's what needs to happen. And so it's, it's the same thing Jesus said in Matthew nine thirty-seven, The harvest is plentiful. Same problem. The workers are few. In John chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus said, open your eyes and look. You know, you can see those Samaritans coming with their white flowing robes. He said, the fields are white under harvest. And so, and Jews and Samaritans didn't associate during those times. And we need to start associating with everybody. We need to associate with everyone. If they got a pulse, they're made in the image of God. We need to go with the gospel. Amen? Amen? That's it. Like that's, There doesn't have to be anything else. I don't have to wait for some sign to drop down from heaven if, if they're breathing. like I don't wait for an opportunity. I'm going to seize the opportunity. Like Waiting for an opportunity, most of the time, I've found from where I'm from, is an excuse to not share the gospel. They're going to wait for some feeling. I don't have to wait for a feeling. There's a song in 1976 called More Than a Feeling, so we've got to be a lot more than a feeling. But I think about guys like... John Wesley, you know, I've been reading this book here too, which is absolutely amazing by Ian Murray. Like hundreds of thousands of people converted. Like can you imagine? Like just, they, they said it literally saved England from falling into the same state that France was in at that time. Like there was societies, like there was 1,500 people being converted at a, at a sitting. Over and over and over. It says people were on the ground on the floor just weeping and they thought hell was going to consume them. They're crying out, Lord, save me. There was a sense of urgency. But when you're real comfortable, it's hard to feel urgency. Evan Roberts, again, 100,000 people saved in six months. Duncan Campbell, 20,000 people saved in five weeks. And then Joe Strachan, right where I live, this little country preacher. And that revival is just one. He came up to the other Baptist church up in the town where I'm from after that, and there was 55 people saved two weeks later. Everywhere as he went, there was like 50 and 100 people being converted at the time but you got to understand the scene this was right after the second world war people were coming back with one leg some people's uh, children were blown up and 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 shot to death in the war and people there was immorality rampant there was adultery people were coming home and they had kids and they weren't the father of them they had children overseas that weren't theirs and everybody was drinking and no, it, it, it just it just kind of left the world in a hard spot and, that, and on the scene, God brings these little preachers in who are set apart. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God starts moving. But you know what amazes me? Even though their lives were wicked and in shambles, our God is merciful. It doesn't matter where someone's been. There's no place too deep where his hand can't reach down and pick that person up. Amen. There's grace and mercy with the Lord. And since Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, why are there so few conversions, and I would call genuine conversions today, and the reason is, is this year, is the workers are few. Most professing Christians are busy at play, and we need to be busy at going. You know, you got people who live beside you, right, or houses or apartments. you got people you work with, people who you go to school with, wherever you go. Like, that's it. We just need to seize all those opportunities, and this is the command of Jesus to go and make disciples, wasn't it? Yeah, and so I wonder why so many People don't get it. And I want to give you a quote from Matthew Henry on this in John chapter 4. This is what he says, how terrible it is while the corn is falling to the ground and rotting and there's no laborers there to pick it up. And he was comparing that to souls. People, you know, getting ripe old in age and dying, and they're going to go to hell. Like, you know, they're, they're not going to a better place as a lot of false prophets tell people. If you're not born again, you are going to hell. And you need to understand that. People aren't going to a better place. Hell's not a better place. And so if someone's living a wicked life, they're not born again. There's no change. There's 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 no reality. And also, too, Matthew Henry said this in Matthew chapter nine on his commentary. He said there's many drones in the highs, but a few worker bees. But we need to, it's the same in the church. He said there's many drones, but not many workers. We need to be workers. We're called by Christ to be workers in his church to win souls. Amen. He who wins souls is wise. Not he who knows a whole lot and doesn't do anything. That's actually information and knowledge. He who wins souls is wise. Amen. Psalm 96 verse 2. Do you ever read through these songs and think about them? Proclaim his salvation day after day. How often should we proclaim it? Day after day you know, all the time. This is what we, this is what we're to live for as Christians. This is the whole purpose of why we're here, is to not to live for ourselves, but to live for him who died for us. How are we doing at this command this morning? You know, giving out tracts to people. Even while we're staying at this place, you know, there's a, I, I was there a few years ago, and this one woman was from Toronto, and that's a, Canada might sound like we're in the same spot, but she's almost the same distance as you guys are from me, actually, because we're in different parts of Canada. But she was crying, and she had a, a knee operation, and she had a heart attack during that time. And, and I didn't know her, you know, and I just noticed that she was crying, and she told me she was Catholic and and all these things. And I, and I just said, can I pray for you right now? So I started praying for her, and she started weeping and uh, shared the gospel with her, and I gave her a track. She came back, and we seen her two years later, and she told me she was converted. And she's going to this church in Toronto now, this evangelical church there. So, you know, just... Just like that, you know, you don't know what's going to happen when you get someone the gospel. We just need to keep continuously pouring out the gospel over and over and over. Just be faithful and God will make you fruitful. You hear a lot of talk about being faithful, but I'll tell you, the Bible says be faithful and be fruitful. Because a lot of people use being faithful for an excuse for not doing nothing. So how are we doing it? Individually, like how are you, you know, like handing out tracks, to people, sharing the good news with people, sharing your testimony. Like the woman at the well, she went and shared her testimony with all the people. You know, she had been with five men. The guy she's living with now is not her husband. She's converted. She goes back, and the whole town comes back. You know, and, the, and then they say, We only, not only believe now because of her testimony, but we've heard for ourselves. No one's exempt from this call. In Matthew chapter 28, you know what Jesus is? Go and make disciples. He doesn't say everyone except for so-and-so because that's not your gift. But, you know, go and make disciples isn't a gift. It's a command. Right? Go and make disciples isn't a gift. Like when people read Ephesians 4.11, they look at that and say, no, that's a gift. That's just for these people. No, they're that so that they can equip the others in the church to go and do the same. It's not not a one-man show. We're We're just weak men with a strong God. No one's exempt. And another reason so few people are converted is because of half gospel, you know, like I said. And, and, and another reason, too, is because the church is full of so many people where we live that aren't even born again. They're like lamps without oils, you know. They've, they've heard, do you want to go to heaven, you know, do you want all your trials to go away? And so they get them to repeat a prayer after them, but there's no change in the life. There's no desire for Christ, you know. There's no desire. Like, you know, it's like the Bible. Like, after I got saved, I couldn't put it down. You know, it's just like, and my wife would say, she'd wake up, she weren't converted yet at the time, and she, she was from a Catholic background. Too. She said, you still reading? That'd be one o'clock in the morning. And I just read the whole book of Romans. You know, but it's just like the Lord, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, and the Word's coming alive. And, and so, you know, God is, we need to, when we share the gospel, God is a holy God. And yes, God does love people, but he also hates sin. And God is, is loving, but he's also a just God. And so the thing is, his law, you know, when you think about his commands, no other gods before me, you know, that means nothing and everything's before God. So that means nothing before him, no idols, anything that we think about or we meditate on more than Christ in his word is an idol in our life. Don't take his name in vain. Even when someone says, oh my, and they say G-O-D, you just took his name in vain because in vain doesn't necessarily mean to curse it. It means to not use it in reverence and praise. Remember his day. On Sunday, you know, we're going, to be home, we're going to be in church. We're going to be worshiping. Honor your father and mother. I think about Noah, you know, when he, when he uh, planted that vineyard and he got dr- drunk and his son Ham came and, and exposed his nakedness. And then the other two boys walked in backwards and covered his nakedness. Sometimes even you hear people's testimonies, they'll cut down their parents. And that testimony ends up being a slander, not a testimony. Those boys, they covered their father's nakedness and walked in backwards and would not look upon it. And see, honoring your father and your mother. Do not murder. Well, we might say, I don't murder, but Jesus said, if you're even angry at your brother, you're guilty of the intent of murder. Adultery, if you didn't even do it, but you know, Jesus said to the Pharisees, if you look with lust, you're already guilty of the intent of adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Not even half truths or twisting the truth or white lies or omissions, right? Don't lie. Do not covet looking for other people's things, wanting someone else's material things, their houses or their vehicles, or, you know, everyone's all competing with each other. Well, we want one of those now. I want one of these. and You know, if you can't afford it, like my grandfather always told me, if you can't afford it, you can't afford it. You know? Everybody's jammed in bad debts the way we live because we want stuff in the the covetous eye and the heart that's never satisfied. Get satisfied in Christ and you won't need it. And so how can this be? How can so many excuses? And if the church is like that, and I think what we need to do is ask the Lord of the harvest, as the Bible says in verse 2, and that means pray, therefore, for God to send out workers into his field. And right here, we've we got a good group of people right here to go out into the field. And I hope that you all are evangelizing. And I, I want to encourage you too, because some people think, okay, I've come out of a bad lifestyle. So did I. And so that makes me not eligible. No, like that woman at the, at the well, the demoniac, they were quite eligible. <laughs> Those examples in their Bible to show us that God will use the most vile sinners, which we all are. He'll use them to do his work. He's not going to use righteous people. Like that's a Pharisee religion when we think someone's going to be perfect to share the gospel. Where it, with the only perfection we have is in Christ. And that's it. We don't have any of our own. So ask the Lord, pray for the Lord to send us out and to send others out. God, don't let me go out. Like I'll even pray, look, some days like, and I'll think, man, I've missed a day and I didn't share the gospel with somebody. That doesn't happen many times, but I don't like to go a day without communicating the gospel. And just think if, like none of us knows what another day we bring forth, but I'm pretty near 57. So just say this is 70 years and just say if I get it, if. My candle's down to here. I'm telling you, I don't want to be wasting time. My time's running out, and if Jesus comes back, it's over. We need to be busy about his kingdom. We need to be busy about his kingdom. Ask the Lord of the harvest, Lord, send me. Don't go days like Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, 8. Send me. The Lord said, who will go for us? And he says, send me. Go, verse 3 of Luke 10. This is the word go. I'm sending you out. And we need to say, yes, Lord. I will go. Matthew 28, 19, let's look at this together. We're going to look at some go verses. 28, 19 in Matthew, therefore what? Go and make disciples. Do you have people right now, who can you name that you're making a disciple with? Right now, do you have a list of people or even, even a couple of people, even one, or even one that you, yeah, I'm actually making a disciple of this person, I'm, I'm witnessing this person, I've won this person to Christ and now I'm actually discipling this person. We need to be able to think about that because this this is when this is a condition on following Jesus. Go and make disciples. He didn't save us so we can stay here and live for us. Go and make disciples of all nations. And baptizing them in the name of the Father, Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe. That's discipleship. We need to be faithful in this here regard right here. And this is where most people are not faithful. And uh, remember quite a few years ago, Bill Bright did a thing here in the States on it and they surveyed several hundred churches and when they were done they used all different it weren't one denomination it was all different evangelical denominations across the US and they found that 98% of people weren't sharing the gospel there's a problem there when only 2% of people are doing the work that God's called us to do go go in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 same thing go into all the world not stay the words go not stay right not sit, go. Go into all the world and preach the good news. That's the gospel to all creation. That means to every living creature. So when we see somebody, I don't have to wait. You know, for someone to tap me, the Holy Spirit's already tapped me. This person needs to hear the gospel. Luke chapter fourteen. This is I, I love this passage because when we went to where we are right now, it's a very small area, and several pastors in a bigger city. Discouraged me, they said, no, they said, we need you here. And I said, well, no, no one needs me. I said, but I would be driving to this little community where I had grown up, and I'd have to pull the car over. I'd be weeping. I would be be weeping so hard that I couldn't even control the tears coming out, and I actually couldn't see. I'd be broken and weeping. I'd see, you know, people standing on the corner smoking pot, you know, and people on crystal meth, you know. It wasn't the same town I grew up in in the early 70s. And it was a different place, everybody, you know. But when these drugs come in, they just destroy people. And it's sad. It broke my heart. I don't get mad at that. I, I'm, I don't get mad at them. I get mad at the church. What in the name of time is going on with the church? Why, why are the people sitting in the church self-righteously and people perishing and no one going out? So I'd be, I'd be weeping. Verse 21, look what it says. Then the servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, what? Go out, verse 21. Go out quickly into the streets, not go out casually or or when you feel like it. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Not just speaking of the physical terms, but spiritual. Look at verse 23. Then the master, that's Jesus, told his servant, that's you and me. What's the word? Go is not stay, it's go. Go out to the roads and country lanes and look at this here, make them compel them to come in so that my house the church will be full. It's not God's will for the church to be empty, it's not God's will for us to just sit in while everybody is dying and going to hell all around us. Like we need to get it, we need to get down to business here. And I prayed, I remember we were watching I was a newer Christian and there was a couple of times when when I was watching I was watching this Billy Graham crusade, and before I got saved, my dad he's a pretty able guy, he's a logger, and so he would want me to watch these crusades, and I didn't want to watch them, with Billy Graham crusades, and but he would grab me by the arm, and I, my socks would be sliding across the floor, and he said, "I want you to come in. I'm going to get you to come in and watch this." You know, he didn't say, "I want," asked you. He said, "I'm going to get you to." You know, so I was in him watching that, and I remember wasn't long after that I was converted, and when after I was saved one night, I watched one of those, and I felt the Spirit of God come on me so strong, I was on my face, on the floor, weeping, and I said, God, I want to do that the rest of my life somewhere. Else. I don't care where you send me, I said, I just want to win people to Christ the rest of my life, and there was two times between 1996 and 97 that I was spending seven, eight hours a day in the Word. I was praying and fasting and setting these times from the Word, and the Spirit of God came to me once, and it wasn't like... Like what a lot of people say, I had this real good feeling. It was so terrifying. I actually thought I was going to be consumed. And I I actually couldn't even talk. I had my head down, and I'll tell you, the Lord was in that room. And it was just, just shortly after that, the same thing. And again, I was I was in one of those seasons where I was like seven or eight hours in the Word, praying and fasting, seeking the Lord. And the same thing happened. It was so intense, I had to ask the Lord to back off. I said, I can't even take it. I felt like I was going to be consumed. But when I came out of those experiences right there, I'll tell you one thing. There was a boldness that came on me for the gospel that was altogether different. And I couldn't stop it. I'd be downtown, we'd be working, and there'd be people walking by, and I'd take my Bible out. Within, within 15 or 20 minutes, there'd be 30 people stopped, and I was preaching it, and I didn't even know it. I was a brand new Christian. The Spirit of God was coming on me. And it's all I can say, it was Him, because it wasn't me. I wouldn't have talked to nobody about it before and then after that, I felt a call to ministry. My wife sensed the to same too. And, you know, so that's, that's what happened. But, but I, do you see what I'm saying? If, you, if you're going to be of service to God, you need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be into the Word and you need to be praying. If we don't do that and we go out and spend a bunch of time on Facebook, whereas one guy back home calls it to Facebook, <laughs> if we spend a bunch of time on all that social media, And don't read our Bibles and pray. When you go out, you're just going to feel dead. There's going to be no power on you to share. Even if you're saved, there'll still be no power on you. We need fresh supplies every single day. Every single day. Go. That was the word in Matthew 28, 19. Go. Mark 16, 15. Go. Luke 14, 21. Go. Luke 14, 23. Go. That's the word. And when is the time? 2 Corinthians 6, 2. I'll just go to this here. I'm close to wrapping up here now. But 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. Now look, listen to this part closely. I tell you what, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So you think about those two words, go and go when? Now. That's all you need to think about. Go and go now. Like not... not uh, Stay and, and go two years later. Go now. Yeah, and not sit. So I just want to ask you this morning and just in your own hearts, and, you, you know, like, don't feel condemned by this. I, I want to help you, and, but I'm just saying the state of the way things are in most of the church around the continent. I, and I have been to a lot of other churches in southern states and other places in Ontario, Canada. So and I have a ton of friends all over gospel network but i want to ask you are you a laborer are you a person who even though you feel weak and i still feel weak when i go sometimes i'm thinking man i'm almost feeling like i'm going to stumble when i'm talking but i just step up and the spirit just meets you right there when you go he won't give you anything maybe before the second before you open your mouth and sometimes i'm i'm intimidated still to go out but the spirit of god when he kicks in i'll tell you that that flees And there's a boldness that comes on from the Holy Spirit that's not your own. but That's faith. Faith is obeying even when I don't feel nothing. Are you a laborer? Do you share the gospel of people? Are you you compelling people to command that God's house may be filled? Are you making disciples? Do you understand that Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful? Do we agree with that this morning? Right on. It is. So then then the words go. Get filled with the Spirit of God and go. And you know, in James chapter 4, verse 17, I often think of this verse. If anyone knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, he sins. It's a sin of omission. To not share the gospel is a sin. It's a sin of omission. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. So by me not sharing the gospel, I'm sinning by omission. And I want to encourage you to go. And one thing we do where we live, there's there's a lot of people. It's really poor where we live. Like, it's nothing like where you guys are here. There's a lot of people that that I'm telling you, you wouldn't even want to live in the house. And then when it gets like minus 25 and 30, you know, it's, and the snow sometimes gets up so that there's no, off of the porch, there's there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no no difference. Like, three years ago, it was six and a half feet everywhere. That's the normal. And with the drifts, it can be up to 15 or 20 feet high. And then you get minus 25 and minus 30. And so these people are poor and a lot of them. And one lady, I'll just share this in closing. Her name is Tammy. And we're still witnessing to her and I'm praying that God's going to save her. Her husband just died. And I used to come into this little canteen or restaurant with my Bible and and she wasn't a Christian. I could tell she did not like my Bible. And so one time she just grabbed my food and she said, here. (laughs) So we we were there. So I said, oh, I said, what's your name anyways? And she said, Tammy. And she said it kind of harsh, you know. And then so we went in two weeks later, and she was crying. And I said, Tammy, I said, what seems to be the problem? She said, my husband just died last week. And she said, I don't have any food, uh, much food. And she said, I don't have any firewood, and I'm going to freeze to death this winter. So guess what? We got guys in our church that have these big harvesters. And we all, my dad owns lots of woodland and lots of, so if you buy a cord of hardwood home season, it's $250 for one cord, and you need about six to eight to get through a winter. And so... I just called this guy up and I said, can you actually deliver a tractor trailer load to here? And I said, we'll go. And what I do is I take the chainsaw and we junk it and split it and put it all in for her. And so she put that in. And then you know what? Two Sundays later, she's out to church. And, uh, but she's not saved yet. And she hasn't been out for a bit, but we're going to keep on going to her. But what I'm saying is, if you know people around you and they got needs, Proverbs 16, 18, the gift opens the way for the giver. Yeah, so if you see needs, like, you know, people who are lost, especially, just, just go and do that and uh, do things for them and show them the love of Christ and minister to them, and uh, you, you'll, you'll see fruit in no time. God, God will do it. So I just wanted to share that with you this morning, and if you don't know the Lord this morning, I encourage you that Jesus Christ is mighty to save, and even though your sin is great, that he is merciful and mighty to save and forgive you for no matter what you've done. And Satan will tell you lies and tell you that you cannot be saved. And he's such a liar, he wants to destroy you. But you're made in the image of God, and Christ died for your sins. And what you need to do, if you're lost here this morning, is repent of your sins. That means to turn away from your sins, be sorry for your sin, and turn from it, and forsake it, and and completely throw yourself upon Jesus Christ for mercy and saying, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. And you let him take over the whole of your heart. And you don't only do that on that day, you do it the rest of your life until, the, until you get to heaven. And I just want to leave these two words, go and go win. Amen. That's it, brother, thanks.